0: BlueWire.
1: Osweiler in trouble. Osweiler brought down
0: Khalil Mack. Hey, oh, here comes Bullshot. Drifter
1: without a helmet. J.J. Watt will always put his fingerprints on a game. Steps up, and he's going to be hit from the side, and he's going down. That's a sack. Darius Leonard, the maniac.
0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast presented by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne. And today I want to talk a little bit about some news that I have uh, regarding EstablishTheRun.com. It's a fantasy website that I wrote for last year, run by Adam Levitan and Evan Silva and i did offensive line rankings uh, mismatch article each week where i focused on defensive lines that had advantages over offensive line Um, so i'm going to be returning this year uh, to do that with them again and i'm really excited about it Uh, a couple new uh, aspects that are going to be included this year i'm doing the offensive line rankings that'll be out sometime probably in july uh, but not for sure yet. I'm, I'm working on them now, just kind of gathering some initial pre- preliminary info on teams, you know, just kind of getting rosters together and just looking at those first and, um, you know, kind of racking and stacking the list basically. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing the top 32 offensive lines in the NFL entering the season. And then this year, I'm also doing the top 32 defensive lines as well uh, focusing on pass rush so basically the the top 32 in pass rush Uh, so that's going to be exciting as well and that's going to require a little bit more work on my end uh, which I'm you know thankful for and excited about because I'm gonna be more uh, well versed in pass rushing and just defensive line play Um, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on the NFL right now but uh, this is really gonna kind of expand my my knowledge base of players because i'm going to go back and and watch a lot of 2019 tape and then i have to watch some of these rookies as well that are that are you know that just got drafted um so those lists i would be looking out for them on establishtherun.com definitely check that website out subscribe if you aren't uh there you know if you play fantasy at all or if you just want to read some of my work uh, i highly recommend it um, and not, you know, not just for me, but there, there's a lot of uh, really good work there. Um, so, I, you know, I can't recommend that one enough. Um, so that's exciting. I'm going to be doing the mismatch article as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's funny, you know, to kind of switch gears a little bit. Uh, you know, people do these lists online, you know, organizations, you know, pro football focus ESPN, they, get, they gather all the writers together and they do top hundreds. You know top 100 current NFL players um, you know ESPN recently did one where they kind of got their analytics department together to draft players um, you know if every player was in basically a free agent pool and you know they, they, they did some some cool stuff and you know in terms of they said that the salary cap doesn't matter they went four rounds so it was 128 players um, and, it, you know, any list like this, there's going to be disagreements, right? I mean, regardless of, you know, who does it or whatever, it's, and it's a difficult thing to do. But, I mean, some of these are just egregious, in my opinion, you know, especially somebody who watches offensive and defensive line play and realizes and understands how impactful they are for game outcomes. And, uh, you know, really, that's, that, that's the number one thing. And... How important they are for their their offensive and defensive schemes and their structures to work So, you know like in this recent one on ESPN.com right now They had hundred and seventeen players picked before Zach Martin who is the best guard in the NFL Um, They had 76 players picked before Quentin Nelson who a lot of people think is the best guard in the NFL and who? You know has every right to be claimed that you know, I I just lean Zach uh, but you know, it's neck and neck, basically. Um, so that that's, you know, just kind of funny. I mean, 84 players picked before Lane Johnson. 81 picked before Mitchell Schwartz. And 67 picked before Teron Armstead. I mean, you know, th- there's no way that there's 84 players in the NFL that you would want on your team to build a successful team before you picked Lane Johnson. I, I just, you know, I don't know. So... You know, lists like this, I, I like responding to them, you know, kind of talk, getting a discussion going on Twitter because it, it's just, it goes to show that the trenches, you know, the line of scrimmage, it's just so misunderstood and really just overlooked, I think, more than anything. People just don't spend time on it. They don't care to, they don't, you know, they don't factor it into the success of teams very well. There's not a lot of analytics to do that. Um, especially for offensive line, um, especially individual offensive line play. I think that's probably the, the most overlooked aspect of it. And um, yeah, so you could check that list out, though. It's it's worth reading. Um, it's definitely uh, going to generate a lot of discussion. Uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, I mean, they had Drew Locke as the 15th overall pick in this draft. Drew Locke, who played last year in a handful of games and was, you know, decent. But no i mean you know uh, you know it just it's it's heavily focused on fantasy football obviously um and you know it's a, it's a passing league obviously so if you you know want to try to get a quarterback who has any chance of being good or better then you know the obviously the 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 selection committee if you will of this list uh deemed it um you know wise i guess smart to, to do that which I, you know i would strongly disagree with it I, i'd rather just get a great player um, at a you know a position on the offensive or defensive line and kind of move forward that way but you know that's what makes it fun and interesting to talk about um, so you know th- this week kind of to talk kind of piggyback on that and just the way offensive lines are viewed and just kind of the success of offensive lines or or the lack of success and uh, the t- talent disparity between offensive and defensive line. Um, and a variety of other topics, I decided to bring on uh, former NFL offensive lineman Jeff Schwartz. Uh, so me and him got together and we talked about those things and a lot more. We talked about uh, some of just the, the mindset needed as a former seventh round pick as he was, or you know, this can apply to a lot of guys who are you know day three picks or um, you know undrafted or things like that. Um just sort of the mindset that's required to take to work every day so you can make an imprint on a coach or you know just the organization as a whole so you can move up from third team to second team to first team and get an opportunity to play and just sort of what that is like from a guy who did it at a, at a high level. Um, so, there is a lot of really interesting discussion there that I think you guys are going to enjoy. Uh, so without further ado, I want to go to that interview with Jeff Schwartz and real quick, be sure next week to tune in as well. I'm going to have another former NFL offensive lineman, uh, come on the show to talk who I've never had on before. And I'm really excited about that as well. But, but right now, I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Jeff Schwartz. All right, everybody. I'm here with Jeff Schwartz, a former NFL offensive lineman. Um, He had a six-year NFL career, retired in 2017. He was uh, a seventh-round pick, I believe, and, I mean, you know, I think more than doubled the career average of NFL players. Um, And uh, had a really impressive career considering, you know, considering that and um, his background and everything is – really interesting and he offers a really good perspective i think that is insightful on the position so i wanted to have him on jeff uh, thanks for coming on the show
1: yeah glad to be here i know we've had uh, some some great conversations off air over the years now with uh oi masterminds and you know our connection to that and, and just uh you know our love for offensive line plays i'm glad to be here
0: yeah for sure and um, you know, I just wanted to to start there with offensive line masterminds, something that I've gotten to be involved with, with you and Duke and, you know, a bunch of NFL players that are playing now. And, uh, you know, your perspective there, I think, is really valuable for a lot of young guys to hear because it's in ways, I think, kind of a throwback type of mindset in some ways, just because of when you came in the league um, and things like that and just what you were exposed to. So, you know, what what do you think today in the NFL for offensive line play is maybe like one of the bigger hindrances for development, and um, you know, how do you think that that can kind of be corrected a little bit?
1: Well, it's definitely the lack of practice time. I mean, that to me is, is easily the biggest concern with development for offensive line play with the new CBA. It's even less now, there's even less practice time than there was, uh, you know, when I was in the NFL, or even you know, with the new CBA that was in, that was in 2011, which happened in the middle of my career, and so. I think mean, a place like Mastermind is really important because it's helpful for players to hear other guys get ready. You know, but I will say I think I think my the, the most important thing that I can provide for Mastermind is just a different perspective than the best players in the NFL. Because you know, guys like my brother Lane Johnson, Teron Armstead. I mean, those guys are special, right? And the things that they do, a lot of us can't do. I, I'm not my brother. I couldn't play like that. I couldn't, you know, I wasn't able to move in his manner. I was able to dissect things in his manner. And so there's a lot of players that hear what these guys have to say. And trust me, it is valuable insight to hear Teron Armstead discuss the way he pass sets, you know, his 45-degree pass set. And, you know, he, you hear him talk about his independent hand usage and, and whatnot. But, like, guys like me, I wasn't really good enough to do those type of things. So I think that I'm there to just let guys know that you know, you can be a seventh round pick. There's different ways to do things, which is what Duke preaches anyway. It's not like it's anything new, but that like, hey, you know, you don't have to be my brother to make an NFL career for yourself. And you know, you're not. You know, I wasn't a Pro Bowler. You know, I played well when I was healthy. Um, right. But you know, I just think that that's kind of my role there is like to provide just a different angle. It's the same thought, right? We're still going to work hard. We're still going to prepare. We're still going to you know get after it. But that like, hey, you know, you don't have to. You know, there's other ways to do it besides just being an all-time great.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's well said. I think that perspective is much needed for a lot of guys to hear, the majority really, because the majority I think are in that position in the NFL. There's not a lot of Toronto arms or Lane Johnsons like you mentioned. So, yeah, that, that's much needed and it's it's cool to hear. And, you know, just to kind of piggyback off that, I guess, you know, what was your – what was your mindset when you, you know, got to the NFL, when you went into the building each day, not just your rookie year, but just the ensuing years as well? Like, how, how did you approach everything and what were you thinking about, like being the most important things for you that day to to make the team and, and things like that? Like what what for you were like your main focus points?
1: Well, for me, it was all about knowing what I was doing because I was never the most athletic or never the most, uh, you know, the most uh, agile. I wasn't the strongest. Uh, I was strong enough, but I wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, bench press strong. Mm-hmm. And so my deal was just learning. Like I wanted to learn about everything that was going around me. So when I'm on the field, I'm able to process things quicker and kind of beat guys to the punch. So if I knew a guy was crossing my face, it's much easier for me to to set appropriately when that happens instead of trying to recover you. Know, a lot of guys are really good at recovering. I mean, we, we see it all the time where guys get beat and they're able to recover just because of their Supreme. If I got beat, I wasn't recovering. So I had to always know what I was doing. And especially when you're young in a position like me, when you're a seventh round draft pick, you, know, you have to make the most of your reps and the way you make the most of your reps is you, you know what you're doing because you know, it might be different this year with camp, you know, kind of a new, a new camp schedule and uh, less practice time. But, you know, if you have three uh, groups, you have a first group, second group, third group, right? First, second, third team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you start training camp practice and, you know, you have like a 20 play period, right? The ones get five, the twos get five, the threes might get four or five, and the ones, you know, get five more. And so in those three reps you have, and you might have four periods a day. So you have like 20 reps. Um, you know, 18, 17, 15 reps, somewhere around there. You better make those really good, and you have to make sure that you know what you're doing. Because if you go in there for those reps and you don't know what you're doing, the coaches are not going to play you. They're not going to feel comfortable moving you up to the next, you know, to the next team, to the second team, because it's their butts on the line too. If they put you in in a really high leverage situation and you, you don't know what you're doing, so for me, it was always knowing what I was doing. So I go on the field. I never played slow. I was never hesitant. And I think that that was one of the reasons why I made it so long in the NFL because you mentioned but being a seventh-round draft. Pick, I was also injured a bunch, which is mm-hmm. it's hard to make it when you're a seventh-round pick and then also you're tougher when you're hurt all the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. I can only – I mean, I can imagine. And Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think about, you know, the offensive line room and, and, and how much did that impact you and, and their help maybe because I, I look back – at your career, those first two years in Carolina. I mean, 2010 there was there was two thousand. Excuse me, there was two Pro Bowlers on that unit, and Jordan Gross and Ryan Kalu. And um, you know, obviously, that was a, a really good offensive line. How much did that help you to be a part of a room like that and to see how other guys handled their business and you know that impact on you?
1: Well, yeah, I, I owe a lot of success in the NFL to. Uh, Jordan Gross, who, like you mentioned, was uh, a Pro Bowl left tackle for the Panthers for uh, 11, 12 years. And mm-hmm. um, when I got in the NFL, he really took me under his wing and, and he really mentored I me. Mean, we talk a lot about mentorship in the NFL, and um, the only people really understand what it is. So it's not just like answering questions from rookies. I mean, that's, everyone does that, right? Like, you, you know, everyone, if you have a question to answer, but it's like taking a vested interest in how that player performs. And Jordan Gross took that interest in me and he, he moved me to his lifting groups. I lifted with him and Ryan and Travell Ward and Jeff hand And he, he worked on my stance with me, helped me, you know, kind of figure out what my stance wanted to be. I played in a, you know, split offense, um, you know, you know two point stance in college. And back when I came in the NFL OA, you were still in a three point stance most of the game. So you're just kind of getting used to it. So, um, you know, that, that was just so invaluable, just learning how to play, learning how to prepare. He never told me like, hey, be you know, be me, but he just taught me how to prepare, how to, how to watch film, what to watch for. And, um, it was, it was invaluable lessons I got from him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so how
1: much time do you think it,
0: Took for you to really get the playbook down I know it differs for everybody you know because obviously just intelligent you know, levels of guys study habits of guys all that stuff but like a typical day for you you know coming into the building and then leaving as well like how much time did you spend do you think learning the playbook and how long did it take you before you really felt comfortable with you know what you were doing out there
1: um, I mean my rookie year I remember you know just like Especially in training camp, having to go back and study the plays and at night and make sure that I knew what I was doing. Um, after training camp, I thought I was fine. After that, you understand the the scheme. And it's 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 this is a, it's very important. I think people don't really understand what it means to learn about a play. And this is I think what set me apart from other players is you really have to learn the scheme. And if you learn the scheme, like let's say you learn inside zone, for example. Inside zone is pretty much the same everywhere as far as what the goal of the play is then obviously every offensive line coach and every offense is going to have some sort of um you know way they coach it and you know different techniques maybe to get to the end part but if you understand inside zone is an a gap to a gap run it's most often going to hit behind the center and you know it's running to a 6 man box let's say like once you know these type of things then you can easily just translate playbook to playbook i mean i played it with what, one, two, three, four, five offenses in in eight years, nine, six offenses really in eight and a half years when it was at Camp of the Lions. And inside zone is inside everywhere. So you, you learn the concept of what the coach wants you to do on the play or really the concept of the play in general, then it's easier to translate over. So once I figured that out as a rookie, I was able to carry that through whenever I went to a new offense yeah that
0: makes sense so just learning the general principles of plays and like you said the scheme and then you know the the nuances you just pick up as you go basically
1: correct and i think you when you're young it's hard to do that when you're young you just worry about like the play itself right and that makes sense when you're a rookie you just try to survive but i think the, the better guys in the nfl learn more than that they're able to just learn like i said the concept behind the play why are we doing this now what's the goal of the play because you know, leverage and angles is a big part of what we do up front. And if you know it's a zone play and the back's not supposed to be in a certain place, you know, like if I if I have inside zone, let's say and I'm the right guard and it's running to my side, so it's inside zone to the right. I have a three technique. I know that the running back's going to go inside of me. He's not going to run out. He's not going to run outside. So I can set my block in a certain way, knowing that really I can almost get edged, and I don't never want to get edged, but I can I can allow a little bit of edging on my outside shoulder, so I'd be strong inside hand. You know, outside zone, I can't do that, right? And so I think you learn these things and so you're able to just play better. You have a better spatial awareness of where the back's going and what you're doing based off of the scheme. If you learn the actual scheme, not just the play number and where you know and your exact block, but you learn everything else around you.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, I always like asking guys who played in the league, you know, who the, who were the toughest guys that you went against and why? So, you know, I'm looking at the Pro Bowl list for 2010, <clears throat> excuse me, when you played all 16 games that year. And I mean, you know, everyone knows these names, but, you know, like Will Fork, uh, Ratliff, Seymour, Sue, N- Nada, you know, Justin Smith. Like, did you see all those guys or some of those guys? And, Maybe could you just name some of the you know maybe the toughest guys you
1: faced and maybe an underrated yeah. guy. 2010, we didn't play the Lions, did we? Oh, we did. That was 2009. Um, so I uh, 2010. Um, oh, you're just reading the list. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So 2010, I played half, you know five games at, at tackle and eleven at guard. Um, so you know, Julius Peppers, we I played him at, at tackle before moving the guard. Now I went against him in practice for two years. So I mean he's easily the guy that was the toughest I ever played against. I mean the, the things he could do, he could beat you outside, inside obviously, he could hump move you. When you have, you know, two or three moves, really when you get three moves as a pass rusher, you're nearly impossible. I mean he, he was he was so good. My first ever start at guard was against the forty ers Uh it's Ray McDonald and Justin Smith. Now Justin Smith was on my side Ray McDonald uh, was a long day. Uh, for me. Um yeah, I'm looking at the other guys. Charles Johnson was with the Panthers. He was so dang strong. Oh my he's the strongest player I've ever played I practiced him every day. He, he was so strong. We had we had some battles. Kyle Williams with Buffalo in 2015. Um you know he was uh he's so quick off the ball. You know my thing was, you know, I, I didn't mind Johnson Johnson too. Like a guy a big guy who just kinda of runs into you and tries to power you fine with me. Guys that, was right. that is it. you know Mike Daniel will line up in a four eye and just sprint off the ball and that you know low leverage guys those guys give me more trouble with kind of me powerful things i was fine with that I played, I played kevin williams my first start a little bit i played you know, ray edwards that first start I mean those guys you know bigger kind of powerful guys not a problem for me
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense i that, that reminds me of just some guys in the league now who you know have talked at masterminds and you know kind of invite those type of rushers into their into their frame because they feel so confident a guy like Brandon Brooks comes to mind um you know just somebody who's so big yeah, yeah I mean it, it's it, it's uh it's unique and fun to watch because some offensive linemen actually want to face guys like that and I don't think a lot of people think about it like that um even if their names are big and they're dominant you know like Sue and Guys like you mentioned, um, you know, some guys actually would rather face guys like that. I think I always find that interesting, but it makes sense.
1: Yes, I would love. I would love to face guys just ran into me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and I, I guess just going back a little bit before we go, I, I'm, I've, I haven't asked you this, but I've been curious about your time at Oregon and. and You know, we're pretty much the exact same age and, you know, kind of been watching the same football, uh, you know, growing up, even though we didn't know each other. And Chip Kelly, I mean, you know, in college, that was like a phenomenon, obviously, and just how it kind of revolutionized the game. And you were a part of it. Uh, So that's awesome to me. And like what what about that uh, scheme stood out to you the most? And, And I guess what was it like being in that scheme and just dominating at that level you know, and just being able to score a will, and just just what about Chip Kelly's scheme made it so special? Do you think, in your in your words?
1: Well, we were doing things that weren't really done. I mean, you know, look at the, at the time, there were some of those spread offenses around Rich Rod, uh, East Virginia. You know, there were a couple of kind of these, and, and, and Rich Rod wasn't more of a Russian attack than anything else. But there were a lot of you know, the, the air raid, Mike Leach type offenses, um, and you know those relied a lot on. on Passing the ball, we were a run-based offense. I don't think people get Chip Kelly is a run-based offense. Um, we ran the ball a lot, and we had different schemes. And I think for me, playing that offense was about confidence. We just were a confident group. Like we knew that if we executed our assignments and played at the tempo that we planned, no one could stop us, and they couldn't until we got a bunch of injuries. And I just remember the con- I remember in practice, if we if you screwed a play up in practice, you just you didn't repeat it. You just kept going. It was always a mindset of go go go. Just keep going. If you make a mistake, you play through it, get the next play. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And the way he was able to sequence plays, too, was, was pretty impressive. It's, it's something that I think is – and I like the, the analytics community, and we get along well now. Having <laughs> me and the analytics community for a while didn't get along as well. But, you know, some of the stuff they talk about with, you know, running the ball and play-action pass and, and the way players are designed – it's it's more about like play sequencing. There's a rhyme and a reason often for why things are done to set other things up. And, you know, the goal of a play might be to get, you know, to, to get a positive play, but it might just be, okay, let's get two yards. You know, we'll show them the exact same look next time and we'll hit a play action pass or we'll hit something, a trick play off of this. And so with Chip Kelly, I always felt our plays were sequenced just really, really well. You know, we, we kind of had a really good balance on what we're doing on offense. And then of course the tempo, man, the tempo was, so ferocious faster than anything you know, anyone I ever done and defenses just couldn't keep up with us yeah and
0: is there any guys that you played with at oregon that stand out to you as just being like some of the most talented guys that you've ever played with any names that we would remember
1: yeah well jonathan stewart um, oh yeah, yeah that's you know, yeah yeah <laughs> it's pretty impressive um and then haloti nada uh, i was there for for two years with haloti um oh. dude's incredible i i think that he has a Hall of Fame resume, but his position might be tough to for, for that to happen, but he definitely is Hall of Fame worthy.
0: Yeah. Wow. Holodi Nada, that's that's incredible. I, yeah. I didn't even think that you were there with him. And um I'm looking at some other guys here on the so Liguer Blunt was there?
1: Uh no.
0: No? Okay. Yeah. No, he was
1: he was there so like it's still guys playing like it was Pat Chung, um oh, yeah, Pat. Max Unger, Ed Dixon, Federiki Tupo, Jeremiah Johnson, um, then we had um Walter Thurman and we had um we had another defensive back in the NFL for a little bit. Uh oh TJ Ward. TJ Ward. Okay, gotcha. yeah that's we were we were loaded. Yeah,
0: yeah, I remember it was a lot of fun watching those teams. But all right, so I guess just in closing, uh, do you want to just tell listeners kind of where they could find you and uh, you know maybe talk about your podcast yeah. a bit because I think that you're doing some cool things with that.
1: So your dot has everything all together. I have a YouTube page as well um, where I do a lot of X and O's breakdowns of um, of different run schemes and whatnot, uh, pass schemes, things like that. Um, just you know, YouTube Jeff Schwartz. You could find my channel through my website as well and then you mentioned uh, the podcast Seth Schwartz is Smarter Than You um, it's uh, it's a podcast where we try to just make you a smarter football fan uh, we have a lot of fun with it and you're know, moving in new directions I think with the amount of um, you know just topics you can go to with different sports uh, just currently right now we have some really good stuff about the kind of the current events in our country right now we've got a many weather just like both of ours to talk about it and so Um, It's a good podcast. It's, It's a lot of fun, and you guys should listen. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jeff. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Thank you, bud. Take care. All right, you too.